and it is also my privilege to read the scripture uh, this morning that Randy's going to be preaching from. So please turn in your Bibles to Colossians 2, 16 through 23. It's uh, freedom from human rules. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God continues it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belonged to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Jeff. Good morning. Glad to be back with you again this morning. If I don't know you, I'm Randy Pospichel, and... uh, filling in over the summer a little bit while Pastor Matt is uh, on sabbatical. So we've been looking through the book of Colossians. And today we're um, looking at Colossians as we just read Colossians 2, 16 through 23. Did you know today's a holiday? In fact, it's not just one holiday. There are, I have 19 holidays listed here uh, from uh, HolidayInObservances.com. Bunker Hill Day, Children's Sunday, National Children's Day, Crowded Nest Awareness Day, Ghost in the Machine Day, Abused Women and Children's Awareness Day, International Kachaka Day, Little League Girls Baseball Day, Loving Day, Multicultural American Child Awareness Day, National Automotive Service Professionals Day, Welcome Automotive Service Professionals, uh, World Day Against Child Labor, Right to Your Father Day, National Peanut Butter Cookie Day, yum, Uh, Poultry Day, Race Unity Day, Red Rose Day, Superman Day, and National Jerky Day. What a great number of uh, holidays. There's even, more seriously, a traditional church calendar holiday today as well. Today is Trinity Sunday. Now, in evangelical Christianity, we typically don't uh, observe the kind of Christian calendar, liturgical calendar, like they do in other liturgical churches. So you may not even know that this is the first Sunday after Pentecost, but this is that day. In liturgical churches, instead of reading the Nicene Creed, as they typically do, on today they would read the Athanasian Creed 
which uh, declares the superiority of Jesus Christ above all others. Um, and the color is white in the Mass. Now, holidays and traditions are a great part of any culture. I'm sure your family has certain traditions that you always do that are known just to your immediate family or maybe some other outsiders. Uh, and um, some people might look at your family traditions and they might think them a bit peculiar. In our family, we have a tradition that everyone in my, at my mom and dad's house walk in the back door. Um, now, there is a front door that works just fine, and many people come to the front door, but everyone that's in the family always goes to the back door. Um, in fact, when there is someone, especially someone that didn't grow up in that house that's in the family, that uses the front door, we say they're probably not pasta shells. There are probably other weird traditions we don't even realize. Like, it wasn't until I was in college that I didn't understand that people Normal people don't put noodles on their mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving, but that's a normal thing at our family. One of the weirdest Christmas traditions that our family has, my brother and my sister and I uh, gifted each other this stuffed Santa head that I had taken off of a Christmas decoration that my mom had. It was one of these big stuffed Santas and that head was on there. Somehow it came off. And so uh, our goal was every year to wrap it in such a way that no one would know which present was the Santa head. Sadly, a few years ago, that Santa head went missing, and uh, the tradition kind of fizzled out. Uh, finally, my, uh, my dad had this old recliner that he'd given to us, and we were getting ready to get rid of it, and I was digging through uh, the, the thing to find loose change, and what did I find? The Santa head. You know, there are a lot of weird traditions, cultures that have their strange or uh, perhaps unusual ways of doing things. In Japan, it's the culture that whenever you enter a home, you have to remove your shoes. That's kind of the case here in the Midwest, too. In Finland, no one engages in small talk. In fact, it's rude to speak to someone unless you're spoken to. In Midwest culture, of course, we know that if you're going to walk by someone, you're going to sneak by someone, you have to say, oh, all right? Now, none of those traditions are inherently bad. They're just the things that are done. But if you cross one of those traditions, you know immediately that you have uh, done something wrong because those cultural enforcers, usually either grandmothers or preschoolers, let you know that you have broken one of the rules. But what happens when traditions and holidays are no longer just fun activities or a common set of ways of doing things, but become ways to judge other people, to lock people out, or to lock certain people into a society? What happens when traditions become toxic? As we look at uh, this next section in the book of Colossians 2, 16-23, we're going to see what Paul says about the traditions that are causing damage in the early church. And we'll draw some parallels to some traditions that might cause damage today. Now, don't, make me, don't mistake me here. I'm not suggesting that traditions and cultures are in any way bad in and of themselves. But just like any neutral thing uh, that can be used to, to damage by drawing us away from something that is truly life-giving, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. That's when it becomes toxic, when it draws us away from what's true and what's real. 
We're going to see in this passage, Paul talked about traditions under four headings. Cultural traditions represent, uh, represent but are not life-giving in verses 16 and 17. Cultural warriors are disconnected from life-giving in 18 and 19. Cultural rules are only human traditions in verses 20 through 22. And cultural rules don't even do what they say they will do in verse 23. Now, to understand this passage fully, I think we need to understand the cultural setting the Colossians find themselves in. And he Wright, in his commentary, describes this city as not particularly large or important in the region of Asia Minor, though it had been at one time. It was thoroughly influenced by the Greek uh, philosophy and culture, as well as all of Roman society. So remember, uh, Romans were influenced by Greek culture, but the Greek culture had uh, for a long time been subsumed into Roman culture and the Roman Empire. The Romans were known for their syncretism, which means they took many aspects of the various uh, people groups that they had dominated and brought them into their own religion and culture. Romans were uh, great cultural appropriators, maybe as much as uh, modern-day Americans are. Pagan religion was a hodgepodge of Greek philosophy, mystery religion with secret knowledge, and chauvinistic nationalism. And alongside paganism throughout Asia Minor was always this enclave of Judaism that was running alongside. There were synagogues in every city and a visible portion of Jewish uh, adherents in every city as well. And that's what Paul would have known in these various places. There were many different kinds of people in his travels, and he'd come upon them. They were Jewish. Some of them were God-fearers. Some of them were out-and-out pagans. He ran into all of these different people. Timothy, for instance, was uh, from a similar town of Derby. He had a Gentile father and a Jewish mother. Uh, he wasn't circumcised as an infant, I imagine, by the influence of his father, who didn't convert to his wife's religion. But he was likely raised Jewish in every other way, attended the synagogue, learned Hebrew, kept the dietary and ceremonial laws. Acts 16 says that Timothy was well regarded by all of the believers. So we can take it that he, took, he kept all of the Jewish traditions, and in every other way except for circumcision, was Jewish. There would have been plenty of other people in towns around Asia Minor like Timothy. There would have been people that grew up in pagan households too, like Titus. Uh, Titus would have been exposed to the moral certainty and directness of Judaism by being, having a Jewish enclave in his area, but he was a Gentile. He was Greek. Uh, so there were many proselytes uh, that were converted to following Yahweh. Titus may have been one of those, or he may have been one that was a Greek all the way through until he met um, Jesus through the Apostle Paul. Um, people that were God-fearers were kept at arm's length by, by the Jewish people. They, they were not completely welcomed in. Um, so there were these pagan traditions and customs. There were these Jewish traditions and customs. There were God-fearers who were somewhere in the middle, able to participate in some Jewish things and not others, and maybe not able to participate in all of their pagan customs anymore. With the spread of Christianity in the towns of Asia Minor by Paul and his followers, there came always on the heels of Paul the Judaizers. They were either right away after or they were there at the same time. 
the Judaizers were these so-called Christians that demanded that the new Christians not only keep the commands of Christ, but they must also keep the Jewish law in every way in order to be truly part of the family of God. Paul preached against these Judaizers in every one of his letters. They were preaching that in order to be truly following God, these new converts had to obey all of the customs and traditions that Judaism had, where they could walk, what they could eat, how they could worship. It was impossible in the minds of the Judaizers to be truly spiritual if you didn't also keep the Jewish law. So then we come back to Timothy, uh, who was Jewish in every other way but was not circumcised. Paul brought him on his first missionary journey in Acts uh, chapter 16, and Paul took him and circumcised him. And it says in Acts 16, it was because of the Jews. John Piper has a nice blog post I'd quote you to on this event, and he notes that Paul did this not to appease the Judaizers, the ones that were so-called Christians saying they had to keep the law, but instead uh, to reach the Jewish people that didn't know the Messiah. See, Timothy was raised a Jew. In every other way, he was Jewish. So Paul, in this case, was doing the culturally appropriate activity to gain a hearing with the Jews. Timothy was not going to be effective if he was kind of Jew, not a Jew, right? So Paul, Timothy's spiritual father, did what his physical father should have done since Timothy was Jewish in every other way. Paul completed what was needed and made uh, had Timothy be circumcised. So that way, Timothy wasn't rejected from the Jewish community um, that he was already a part of. He'd already grown up in. And this simply uh, completed that cultural need so that they would be heard by the Jewish people, not to appease the Judaizers. Contrast that with Titus, who was Greek in every way and a Gentile. He never practiced any of the Jewish customs or traditions growing up. He was not expected to be Jewish as a part of the culture of the time. Uh, he wasn't acting Jewish. He wasn't doing the Jewish things. And so he was not circumcised by Paul. When the Judaizers demanded that Titus be circumcised, Paul resisted. In Galatians 2, 3 through 5, it says, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised though he was a Greek. Yet because a false brother secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved. So Paul is consistent. In one case, he had Tim Timothy circumcised because of the culture that Timothy was in, in order to have a hearing with the Jewish people but not the Judaizers. But Paul never wanted to appease the Judaizers by circumcising Timothy. Um, these, uh, they were just useful in, in bringing people into a community so that they could have a hearing. We're going to see here in Colossians first that the traditions are representations of things, but they're not life-giving in verses 16 and 17. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a, fest, a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day, 
These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Notice here that Paul is not condemning traditions and holidays. Of course, we're going to eat and drink, and there's going to be traditions. There's no society that doesn't have traditions. All of us have traditions. In Jewish society, there were the regular rituals about Sabbath, going back all the way to the time of creation. God rested after he did his work of six days. He rested on the Sabbath. And he commanded through Moses that all the law keepers should keep the Sabbath, should rest on that day as well. And so they had various holidays and uh, new moon celebrations designated by the lunar calendar that reminded them of uh, that Sabbath rest. Roman society had their own rituals as well. Now, Roman society rituals sometimes were problematic because they were often accompanied by drunkenness or carousing or sexual perversion, but they weren't all that way. And we even see in New Testament society some uh, Roman traditions being incorporated into the Christian church. What Paul is condemning in verse 16 is those that will judge others because of their traditions. In a sense, Paul is putting in the same category both the Jewish new moon and Sabbath celebrations and the pagan religious festivals. All of them, whether pagan or Jewish, are shadows of something else to come. And when you think about it, what's a shadow? It's the light missing because of some barrier. It's not real. It's not even a good representation of the actual thing. Have you ever seen a shadow puppet? I remember on Sesame Street when I was little, um, there was uh, these shorts that they had where they'd do the shadow puppets. And there would be a bunny or a, a, a dog that could bark and wag his tail uh, or um, a, a horse with a rider. But whenever they pulled back, then it was just a man contorting his hands in order to do the shadow puppet. There was no real horse or bunny or dog. It was all an illusion. Paul says all of these uh, cultural religious trappings, either Jewish or pagan, are just shadows. They're not real. Sure, traditions and customs can bring joy and help us connect with each other, but they're just a shadow. They're not where real joy comes from. They're not where real connection comes from. So Paul says, if they're not real, don't let people judge you by them. And I think we can infer, don't judge yourself uh, or others by them. Keeping cultural rituals don't bring life. They're not real. Paul has the same thing, same theme in 1 Corinthians 8.8. 8. But food does not bring us near to God. We're no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. So in that passage, Paul also makes the point that keeping rituals when we aren't uh, uh, keeping them to find life, uh, are just a way to enjoy life, they can cause a weaker brother to stumble, so we should avoid it. Later in chapter 10, uh, Paul says, Do I mean that the food sacrificed to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God, and I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. So there is a spiritual reality. And that pagan ritual in Corinth, and they were appearing in Colossae too, were idolatrous. 
But Paul's saying here, Colossians, um, in, in, uh, sorry, in Colossians, that the Jewish festivals are just as idolatrous. The pagan festivals were purely idolatry, for sure. Food offered to idols. But Paul's saying here, the Jewish festivals are just as idolatrous. They're in the same boat. The reality here in verse 17, literally, the body, as opposed to the shadow of cultural tradition, is Christ. That's where we find life and meaning. Cultural traditions do nothing to draw us near to God because we already have all that we need in Jesus Christ, in His life, death, and resurrection. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is all the reality that's needed. Not only are traditions not life-giving, but the cultural warriors are disconnected from life-giving in verses 18 and 19. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They're puffed up with idle notions of their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Paul describes these uh, culture warriors as those who delight in false humility in the NIV. The NLT translates it, they insist on pious self-denial. Now, that word is used actually positively throughout the Bible. It's simply translated humility. But in the context here, dripping with sarcasm, it's that humility that shames other people rather than that true humility that gets put on first. Charles Spurgeon, I love the way that he says this. He says, I do hate of all things the humility which lives in the face. There are some people who always seem to be so very humble when you're with them, but you can discover there's something underneath it all. And when they are in some other society, they will brag and say how you told them your whole heart. Take heed of the men who allow you to lay your head in their lap and betray you in the hands of the Philistines. There's a kind of oil, sanctimonious, proud humility, which is not the genuine article, though it is sometimes extremely like it. You may be deceived by it once or twice, but by and by you discover that is a wolf dexterously covered with sheep clothing. There's this pious self-denial that has this look of spirituality, but it's just a hollow shell of the real transformed life. Culture warriors like this are always looking so serious about trivialities, shadows of what is real. What else do these wolves do? Paul says they worship angels. Now, it's unclear what Paul really means here. Uh, in Hebrews, the author makes a point to prove uh, that Christ is much better than angels. Um, there are many stories in the Old Testament and in the uh, Jewish writings of Paul's day that talked about angels. So Paul may be sarcastic here, um, saying um, that they were concerned with humility and that they uh, even though they would deny that they worship angels, they actually are. Or there could have been some actual angel worship that was a part of what they were saying these Christians needed to do. Uh, these people, though, were spending so much time talking about angels and venerating them, they might as well be worshiping them. You know what people like this? They get so caught up in their traditions that they are basically worshiping the tradition. And because they're culture warriors, they pass judgment on everybody else that wouldn't do it the way that they do it. 
Paul says, don't let them disqualify you. They're acting like referees of the spiritual life, saying who's in and who's out, and throwing yellow flags on everybody who um, steps out of line, who eats a certain thing or celebrates a certain way. And that is just as idolatrous as anything else. Paul says that they're puffed up by their tradition and that they, they see visions. They're looking down on everybody else. Their minds are, are, in fact, not spiritual at all. They've lost their heads. Actually, they've lost connection to the head, Paul says, who is Christ Jesus. The church is the body of Christ, but by their own judgmentalism and angel worship, they've gone off the deep end. The, the true body finds its connection to the true head in Jesus Christ, which grows as God designed it to grow. The culture warriors, they only stunt growth. Paul reminds them now that the cultural rules are only human traditions anyway, in verses 20 to 22. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Paul reminds them what their status is. They're not under the elemental spiritual forces. The things in verse 8 from uh, last week. Those things are of the world. They're not from above. But Christian, you are dead. The world has no hold on you anymore. Why would you let it? The phrases in verse 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, these are squarely directed at Judaism. The law said what you could handle, what you could taste, what you could touch. Again, Paul is saying that the choices about handling, tasting, touching, neither one of those are right or wrong, but they're all made up. It's not real. People will at times go to great lengths to make the laws make sense, to justify to them uh, why the way that they interpret the law, the law is really even scientifically right. For a time, um, when uh, Christians were looking for scientific basis for everything, they would legitimize the Jewish law by saying that it was actually scientifically accurate that the law was the way it was. So you would avoid pork because, well, scientifically, pork is harder to... Um, cook and so you have to cook it thoroughly so it could cause disease therefore you don't eat pork and that makes it right well that wasn't the reason for the um for the uh, admonition against pork at all or any of the other religious rules of moses it was simply to set them apart to say you are different than the rest of your society the justifications that they would come up with to 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 anchor their own traditions to say that their traditions were giving life are just that. They're just justifications. They're made up. Even the traditions today that people hold and cling to to have life, they make, make, make up justifications that are just that. Only justification. Not real, not solid. Paul's saying that the Jewish law that said what things could or couldn't be handled, tasted, and touched, um, was somehow that those things weren't evil. No, of course not. But they had a purpose. And the purpose was not to protect you from disease. 
The purpose of the law was to show you what holiness was, was to bring you to Christ. In Galatians 3, Paul says, Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the Scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the guard of law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. See, the law was given to the Jewish people to bring them to righteousness by faith in Christ. The Gentiles should not submit to Jewish law or any other law that the world makes up in order to find a right relationship with God. And those that would claim uh, that you could find life in something else than Jesus were not speaking the truth. They were liars. And they were judging you by their lies. Now, by the time of Paul, Judaism had stopped being a, and the, the laws of Judaism especially, especially had stopped being a life-giving source from God. It had become a human contrivance. Jesus called the most religious people of the day. Everyone would have looked at the Pharisees and said, those are some religious spiritual people. Jesus called them a brood of vipers and whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. There was no life in it. Jesus came to fulfill and complete the law and give real life. So Paul says, don't look for life in the shadows. These cultural traditions, they make promises, but they don't keep them. They don't even do what they say they'll do. Look at verse 23. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, but their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. The Judaizers promised real spirituality with the keeping of the law the way that they interpreted it, and it was always in favor of them. They judged people that said otherwise. But Paul says even with all the traditions that they had they, that looked spiritual, in the end they were nothing. They tried to eliminate sensual indulgence, but they couldn't even do that. There's nothing there. There's no life at all there. The culture wars rage in our society as well. The judgmentalism of Paul's day might have had some other elemental principles then, but the culture warriors use the same playbook today in modern America as they did back in Colossae. As we saw earlier in Colossians, they make reasonable-sounding arguments. They make it sound so good. And then they go to great lengths to make you feel small, unspiritual, even immoral if you don't follow along with their traditions. There's still this constant battle that we continue to fight in modern Christianity. The idea that you have to be saved by the cross, but you prove yourself, you become sanctified by the works that you do, by something else. We look down on people. We look down on people who uh, can believe in the authority of Scripture but interpreted a little bit differently than us in some minor things. Or they hold to the triune God, but they express the leading of the Holy Spirit in a different way. 
Or they believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, but they vote in a different way. Or worse, they just look different than us. And so we marginalize them. We belittle them. We separate from them. That's not what Christianity is. What is the reality of Christ? The crux of this book, remember it? Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, the Judaizers wanted to separate. They wanted to say that there were particular people that were in and other people that were out based on the traditions that they could keep. But Christianity uh, says that all are welcome. Christ in you, Gentiles and Jews, slave and free, male and female, all of you are in the body of Christ by faith in Jesus who died on the cross. The culture warriors want to cast out but Christ wants to bring in. The holier-than-thouers want to judge, but Christ wants to forgive. Now, traditions are fine. No one is saying you can't say ope when you move by somebody. Uh, Go ahead and put noodles on your mashed potatoes. That's great. There are some traditions, like uh, staying out all night and getting drunk or um, uh, making sacrifices to foreign deities that are immoral, and I'm certainly not saying to do those things. But most of the traditions of this world are benign. And when they're used as a way to have joy with others and and kind of a a collective cultural engagement, hey, that's great. Paul did that to, to engage with people. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as we can speak the gospel into those traditions, it's fine. But it's not real. It's not life giving. The real thing, the reality is, the the thing that binds us together is the gospel of Christ. So ask yourself about your own biases. The first step in putting to death this tendency to elevate tradition of a culture is to identify when you're already doing it and then take steps to stop it. Step one, can you think of a time when you've been judgmental toward another Christian, for something that had absolutely nothing to do with the fundamental understanding of the gospel. I guarantee you have. I will tell you, I've found myself from time to time in some somewhat uncomfortable situations with other Christians. This uh, white-bred Midwesterner once found himself leading worship in Texas with my soon-to-be wife, um, and uh, the, the leader was super vocal and super spontaneous. He had us jumping up and down on the stage as we sang the same verse over and over and over again. And I got to tell you, I was judgmental about him. In my, it might not have come out of my mouth, my mouth, but it was in my heart. I thought this kind of worship experience was showy. I remembered things that, um, from, true things from the Bible, that worship should be orderly, so I judged him as being disorderly. But that attitude in my heart was wrong. And my judgmentalism was, uh, toward him was wrong. I am not the arbiter of what is orderly. That is not my job. That is a, a position for God to have and for someone in their own heart. To put myself in that position even if it was my own, only in my own head, was wrong. Have you had that kind of experience? Where you've judged someone else's Christianity based on the cultural presuppositions that you have instead of the gospel. If you can't think of one, that might be the first step. 
is identifying your own heart, where you are being judgmental towards other Christians who hold to the gospel but have a different way of expressing it. Second step, repent. Repent of that. See, Paul here is not condemning the culture keepers. He can, he's condemning the judges, the culture warriors. Traditions and culture are a part of life and a way to be your authentic self. So when you are judging others based on tradition or culture, then you're making that tradition the gospel rather than the gospel of Jesus. And anything that stands in the place of the gospel instead of Jesus is idolatrous. Jesus Christ crucified. That's what we stand on. When we stand on anything else for life and hope, that is idolatry, plain and simple. So turn away from it and ask God to forgive your idolatrous, evil heart. And if you don't think it's idolatrous and evil to judge someone, some other Christian, by your own man-made traditions, go back to step one. Third step. Don't let others judge you. Paul's telling the followers of Christ in Colossae to snuff that attitude out. When you are made to feel guilty by someone because you don't do Christianity the way that they do it, put that aside. All of that is just fleeting shadow. We don't find life in traditions. And so we shouldn't be made to feel bad when we don't meet other people's expectations. In traditions. All of the traditions of the world, even the ones that look spiritual, are just made up. They're just human convention. Don't let them suck the joy of Christ out of you by the demands of other people that say what real Christianity should or shouldn't be. Hold on to the reality of Christ and surround yourself with people that do the same. Let's pray. God, in my life I have seen Christianity expressed in so many different ways. I've seen, uh, I've seen Ukrainians singing, uh, singing praise songs around a, a, a circle in a, a living room, praising your name in a language I didn't understand. I've seen uh, people that were overcome by emotion, dancing and singing praising your name. I've seen people stand silently, worshiping you in spirit and truth. God, there are so many ways to express the life-giving that is Jesus Christ, died, risen, resurrected for us to save us from our sins. I pray, God, that we would not be judgmental of other people that express this true Christianity in another way. And may we not be held in contempt by the referees of the culture wars that tell us what to do and what to taste and what to touch. We are no longer a part of this world. We see traditions simply as man-made objects. And we hold to the truth of Jesus. God, I pray that you would encourage us in our hearts to cut out those things where we judge others and not allow others to judge us as well. May we hold closely and hold dear to the gospel of Jesus, in whose name we pray.
Amen.